Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Well, hello and welcome, everyone, to another special episode of From the Four Corners, Scent Life Stories of the Global Church. So thankful for the Center for Great Commission Studies allowing us to record these special episodes featuring our Global Theological Initiative. My name is John Ewart, and I'm the Associate Vice President for our GTI, and I'll be hosting again today. Today, we're really honored. We're uh, very blessed in this episode to have none other than the President of Southeastern Baptist uh, Seminary here, Dr. Danny Aiken. Dr. Aiken, thank you so much for joining us. Well, John, thank you, and I can't think of anything I'd rather talk about more than Great Commission work and what the Lord's doing around the world. You know, I've known you for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've worked at a couple of places together, and uh, I've watched your Great Commission passion uh, continue to grow over these years. Let's just talk a little bit about that. How did your passion, because you're known for that, you know, Southeastern's known as a Great Commission seminary, and you're known for your Great Commission fulfillment passion. How did, where did that passion come from to reach the nations? Uh, how, how did that develop and come about in your life? Well, I think it was a couple of things, uh, John. Uh, first, I was called into the ministry on a mission trip when I was uh, 20 years of age. Uh, our church led a mission trip out to Sales, Arizona, where we worked on an Indian reservation for a little over a week. And it was during that time that God called me into the ministry. And so right then, I think the seed was planted. Kind of just be honest, I had a, a still a concern for the nations and the churches I served in Dallas uh, were very faithful to give to uh, uh, Lottie Moon and uh, the cooperative program. We had a good relationship with the Wycliffe Bible Translators because uh, Summer Institute of Linguistics is located right there in uh, the Dallas area. But when I came to Southeastern in 2004, a couple of years later, Charlotte, my wife, and I went with another couple, Richard and Gina Hedrick. Uh, to Southeast Asia to visit six countries in 14 days and uh, to see Southeastern 2 plus 2 students and 2 plus 3 students that were on the field at that time. And uh, I knew of the lostness of the world, but I had never seen just how massive it was and just how dark uh, countries like India and uh, Miramar and Nepal and Bangladesh really are. And when we returned... Uh, I was just determined, well, if we're going to do anything at Southeastern, uh, complementing our great love for the Bible and theology and expository preaching, biblical counseling, we were going to follow the heartbeat of Jesus and go after big time the Great Commission. And fortunately, as you know as well as I do, we have a great faculty that has that same heartbeat and gladly and, in fact, even enthusiastically embrace that vision and over the last uh, 15 years now, it's really been uh, remarkable what the Lord's done here at Southeastern in allowing us to train, equip, and send out uh, for people to go uh, to these hard places in the world, uh, many of which, in fact, most of which, you've got people that have never even one time heard a faithful presentation of the gospel. Well, and along the way, because of your leadership and because of that faculty— you know, Southeastern um, has developed a reputation 
uh, a good one, I, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a missiologist, so I, I can't be but happy about this. Uh, but when we talk about Southeastern being that Great Commission fulfilling missionary sending seminary, and that's who we really are, what, what do you think makes us that way? Well, I want to be very uh, transparent here. Uh, I don't think we could do what we do without what we have in the uh, Center for Great Commission Studies and uh, people like yourself that can implement the vision. I'm not an implementer. Uh, God did not gift me in that kind of a way. Uh, but the Lord uh, gave me a, a vision, I guess, for what this school could be in terms of its global outreach and its global passion. And then God brings uh, gifted people like you and uh, Scott Hildreth, uh, Greg Mathias, who's now at New Orleans. In fact, it's really encouraging to see how many Southeastern persons are now leading the missions programs at uh, our sister schools. And I just rejoice in that. And so when you put that together and then we began to just kind of get the word out that MKs were welcome to come back and study here. And in fact, uh, we scholarship uh, missionary kids uh, from a freshman in college all the way through a MDiv degree, and we cover every dime of their tuition. So you and I both know there's a plethora of MKs running around this place. And we also provide lots of scholarships for uh, missionary personnel that are already uh, with the IMB, and then again, uh, a faculty that bought into this vision, and you and I both again know, in addition to our missions department, you've got a a Todd Borger who teaches Old Testament. He was an IMB missionary. You got Ben Merkel, who's a New Testament. He was an IMB missionary. You got John Hammett, who's in theology. He was an IMB missionary. You got David Allen Black, who even though he wasn't with IMB, he married a MK. And uh, the Great Commission just burst out of every pore of his body. And you put all that together, and it's not really hard for us to keep the Great Commission front and center. Yeah, I remember early on, not that it was a fight, but I remember early on conversations in faculty meetings and other times where you basically the sentence something like, if you don't like the Great Commission or you don't want to be a part of the Great Commission fulfillment, this just isn't going to be the right place for you. No, you need to find another school to teach at. Yeah, and it really does uh, permeate the ethos and the DNA of us. You know, in your position, you have a unique opportunity to speak with leaders here in the United States of America and also around the world. You and I have traveled several places together. We're about to do it again. We are. Uh, and so what are some of the greatest needs you believe the global church faces today? And it's going to continue to face in the future. Well, uh, you know, you have to divide the world up into different uh, areas and groups. Uh, let's start where I think the hardest soil is, and that is uh, secularized uh, Europe uh, and North America. Uh, the United States isn't yet where Europe is, but we sure are trekking in that direction. You want to get a real up-close and personal uh, look, just look north of the border and see what Canada is like today. And so the need for uh, uh, missionaries uh, and regular normal people who think like missionaries to go to those places realizing, I often use the analogy, you're not sowing seed on uh, hard soil, you're sowing seed on concrete. And uh, you're going to have to be there for the long term, the long haul. If you're expecting uh, instantaneous results, uh, then you're probably in the wrong place and you're going to be sorely disappointed. You need to be there uh, willing to give your life uh, for uh, not just years, decades. 
uh, and I believe God has promised that he will uh, bless the sowing of his word, and you just have to believe that and trust in that. So that's, I think, the area where now um, the work is the hardest. Uh, I think it's even harder than when you go into uh, Muslim context because they are not secularly hardened, although there are some Muslim countries uh, like Turkey that really is a secularized form of Islam uh, that dominates them. That's hard. Uh, that's hard soil uh, to sow the gospel seeds and then seek to see fruit. Uh, the other thing is simply the need is great. We don't have enough people willing to go. Uh, we went through a time in the uh, uh, SBC and with the IMB where they were overspending what they were taking in and were really having to eat away at their reserves and so on, selling properties off, but immediately spending that money. Now the problem has reversed itself. We've got more money than we have people in the pipeline. So we need to be asking the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his field. And our churches need to be about the business of challenging their people calling out the called, calling out the call, just like we pray for that when it comes to the assignment of a pastor. We need to be praying for that when it comes to those that are willing to go to the hard places in the world. And I'll add this one thing, and we could follow this a long way. We also need to ask the Lord to raise up men. Uh, it is still the case that the overwhelming majority of persons that we send out, and we're not unique in this, as you well know, it's true across the board with all mission organizations. Our sisters are far more willing and far more courageous to go to the difficult and hard places than are their brothers in Christ. And that is a travesty. Uh, it's shameful. And again, we both know that you're condemning uh, Muslim men to hell without a witness because in almost all Muslim cultures, a woman is not going to have the freedom to share the gospel with a man. She'll have to do it at best indirectly through the wife. And therefore, we need more men who are willing to go. Yeah, and case in point, even here, uh, two of the administrative assistants that work with the Global Theological Initiative that I help with are both getting ready to head out in the next few weeks uh, to begin the journey with the International Mission Board toward serving in Europe. And uh, we're proud of them going, uh, but you're right. I'd like to see— uh, They're both women. They're both women. And although they're going to do a tremendous job, I'd love to see uh, a, a ton of guys well, going Well, if them. people really would like to get a picture of it, we can think of uh, Keelan Cook, who right now is the uh, Lyle uh, director of the Great Commission Center. He was in West Africa for a number of years, uh, discovered uh, through Gordon Ford at the IMB that at— that particular time, think 2010, there were 50 journeymen serving in West Africa, 48 women, two men, and one of those two men is now the director of our uh, Great Commission Center. So 48 to two, I mean, really? Yeah. I just want to drop my head in shame at the reality of that statistic. So here we are at Southeastern, uh, the Great Commission Seminary. Uh, how, how do you want Southeastern to help address these needs or continue to address these needs around the world? Well, I hope that more, and, and I don't know, we send out a lot. We send out more than anybody else, and that's just, I say thank you, Lord, for that. It's his doing, not ours. But I still would love to see us send even more 
than what are going out now. I'd love to see that number double, triple, quadruple, uh, that we then are providing even more to the IMB and other mission organizations uh, to be sent out to the unreached peoples that are still uh, there by the hundreds of millions. Uh, I think also we can serve a very valuable role in terms of missions, theological education. Uh, One of the things that you've set as a standard here, and I've embraced it fully uh, following your lead, is that we want to uh, uh, train the leaders. Uh, We want to train the movers and shakers in various uh, places in the world that then are going to have that influence filter down to leaders. And in essence, we're training leaders who will train leaders uh, because uh, in a lot of places, Though evangelism and church planning has gone well, uh, theological education is next to nil. And what happens is, yeah, you've got uh, lots of believers. I'm not questioning that, but they are so uh, shallow and weak in their faith. They're very susceptible to false teaching, in particular when you think of South America, when you think of uh, Africa. Uh, and even pockets of Southeast Asia, uh, the heresy of the prosperity gospel is running rampant. And again, if we could just ground the leaders in good, solid biblical theology, and then that filter down to pastors uh, who are being— because we can't get to all the pastors. We just can't. We wish we could. We can't. But if we start at the top and there is a trickle-down effect that is inevitable— then if we're training them to think well theologically, they'll train their pastors to think well theologically. They'll train their people to think well theologically. And once again, we can complement missionary passion with theological integrity. You know, we always talk about, you and I, Paul was the great missionary, but he was also the great theologian, and he saw no incompatibility with wedding missions and theology. And in fact, we don't think you're really doing good missiology without also bringing along good theology as well. Yeah, orthodoxy and orthopraxy have to go together. Absolutely. And and one of the things that we we do in the Global Theological Initiative, is, as you well know, is you know there's a dramatic kind of uh, dramatic bumper sticker line that we use in that world to where we say we want to train the generals of the global church yes. army because we we believe that we need to join with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and equip them because as you, as you share they're they're going to get theology one way or the other they are and they're doing it right now and the question is is how how orthodox will it be and well this is one of the reasons I'm so excited and again you've led this initiative through the uh, center uh, the number of seminaries that we're partnering with around the world where they are actually uh, under our instruction obtaining our master's degree, uh, which means they're getting Southeastern's DNA, both in terms of missiology and evangelism, but also theology and even apologetics that we work very hard to contextualize to their particular location. And again, um, I think trying to focus strategically on the leaders is a very, very wise missiological strategy and something that Southeastern is naturally uh, equipped to do. Yeah, and again, I think, you know, and I tell people everywhere this. In fact, I've mentioned this on several of the episodes where we've had some of these leaders. Uh, we've actually been interviewing some of Good. the leaders uh, that we've been trained, some of our graduates even. And and one of the unique characteristics that you possess is the fact that, you know, you have training in theology and in expository preaching 
and then you have this missions, mind, heart, and passion, it, it makes it for a powerful combination, which I think helps us to stay on track uh, in making sure that we're focused in that more holistic way. So let's, let's think about our listeners for just a moment. Many of them are going to be in the American church listening to this. Um, let's talk for a moment, if we can, about the, some of the best ways for the American church, even in her current state, um, and the global church, and how they could best work together to fulfill the Great Commission, and how the American church could perhaps be more missionally minded, supportive, uh, and engaged, and even perhaps even more global in their worldview. Well, you know, I think of a book that's badly neglected in our New Testament that I think has a powerful, powerful missiological message, uh, and that is the book of Third John, where you've got uh, John praising a man by the name of Gaius uh, for the way that he cares for uh, itinerant missionaries that are taking the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the Roman Empire. And one of the things we see very clearly is, first of all, there's no uh, believer in America, let's just stay in the American church for a moment, that can't pray for the nations. But here's the deal. Uh, we know in survey after survey after survey, most evangelical churches do not pray for the nations on Sunday when they gather, which I just think is scandalous. One of the things we do here, as you know, is every chapel service on Tuesday and Thursday, we either pray for international missions or North American missions, and that keeps the missiological and missionary mandate before our students every single time we gather. Well, again, if I were pastoring a church, we would pray for the nations every single time we gather, and we would pray, pray for specific missionaries, specific people groups, specific areas of the globe where the gospel is so desperately needed and not even being heard. So that's the first thing. Secondly, and everybody knows this is coming, we give. We give. But again, um, we know, and nothing has changed over the last several decades, for every dollar that is placed in a traditional evangelical church in the offering plate, 97.5 cents on the dollar never leaves America. So in other words, we may talk a lot about uh, the Great Commission and talk a lot about getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, but we don't put our money where our mouths are. And, uh, I mean, if you just think, take Southern Baptist, for example, we annually, through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, the, inter, uh, the, the cooperative program, and other means, will give almost uh, 400 to $500 million, so let's say half a billion dollars, to international missions. Well, let's just imagine that uh, that got doubled from 2.5% uh, to 5%. Well, now you're at a billion dollars, and you're still talking about five cents on the dollar. And so, unfortunately, I don't think we have the right vision when it comes to how we do church, when it comes to the Great Commission. And there's no way that you can convince me that America with all of our wealth, all of our prosperity, have not been blessed by God with the end that we would then bless the nations. And we recognize most people in our churches are not going to become international missionaries. But I agree with Spurgeon. Uh, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. And he wasn't trying to send people on a guilt trip. He's just simply saying everywhere you are, no matter where you are, you should pray, give, and think and live 
like a missionary. And that means then we uh, provide the funds to send as many as we possibly can to the nations. But, you know, God's done something remarkable for us in America. He's brought the nations to us. Here you and I are in this uh, research triangle where right down the road is Duke University, uh, UNC, uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina State. Just up the road uh, about 45 minutes is uh, ECU. Uh, hit Greensboro, and there's a large number of, uh, of colleges there. I didn't even mention some of the other colleges in the Raleigh-Durham area. All of them, as you and I both know, are filled with internationals. People that have come over here for a variety of reasons. John, they're lonely. They can't speak the language. They don't even know how to go to the post office or how to mail a letter. Or, Of course, you don't have to mail as many letters as you used to. But even find food. Find a doctor. And I know this. Folks that have a heart for those international students, when they say we invite them to our home, almost 100%, yes, we'll come. Because they're lonely. <clears throat> they also want to understand America better. Well, if a church has a missionary mindset, even if they're not going to go to the nations uh, outside the borders of the U.S., there are opportunities galore for them to do international missions right now, right here, where they live. The issue is they got to get busy doing it. Yeah, and so and let alone the immigration. Con- oh my goodness, concepts. yes. So one of one of the some of the episodes that you listeners will listen to or already have are are also focused on the fastest-growing ethnic populations in the United States, where we've been talking about our Asian populations and our Hispanic populations. And so, you know, missions, uh, when you say mission starts at home, there's the opportunity for that. It doesn't stop there, but there's certainly the opportunity for it to include uh, include local and national. Yeah, for some, it starts at home, and it can be done at home. Yeah. Still— with a vision to the world where there are, as you and I know, in excess of 6,000 unreached people groups, most of whom are unengaged with not even the opportunity to hear and believe the gospel. So as we start to bring this to a close today, let's think about some prayer requests. We do this in every episode. What what are some things that our listeners, uh, and, I, and I mean this first part, how could they be praying for you personally? Uh, and your leadership, but also how could they be praying for Southeastern and its mission to continue to fulfill the Great Commission and send out missionaries? Well, I uh, asked folks, I'm 66 now, uh, that they would pray two things in particular for me. One, uh, for good health. Good health. Uh, you and I both have had some real challenges the last couple of years. Uh, we're both doing pretty well right now. And so ask God to give us good health so that we can uh, continue to train and continue to go. Uh, secondly, uh, again, uh, kind of preaching uh, for both of us here, praying for both of us here, uh, we want to finish well. We want to finish well. Uh, it's one thing to run the race well for 20, 30, uh, in our cases, over 40 years now, but we want to finish well. So that would be two things in particular that I would ask that uh, the listening audience would pray uh, for me and, and, and for you as well. And then, uh, again, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his field. Uh, Ultimately, it is God who calls people to go. And I don't want people going who have not been called. They won't last. uh, They won't flourish. They'll come home, 
and uh, disappointed, discouraged, and we will have made a massive investment with very, very, very little return. But we pray that God will raise up those that are willing to give their lives to this incredible calling. Uh, I'm about to uh, finish up a, um, a book, uh, Ten Women Who Changed the World. Uh, and the last one I'm working on right now uh, is a woman named Lilius Trotter. Lilius Trotter was born into wealth uh, in London, uh, came, became a believer, uh, but then later came under the influence of the Keswick movement and the, the, the healthy side of the deeper life movement where total surrender is part and partial of their theology. Well, that theology got a hold of her life. She walked away from an incredibly promising career as an artist, and she would spend four decades, 40 years of her life, in the North African country of Algeria. Uh, talking about, in fact, she actually says uh, in a letter to a friend, uh, it is like beating your head against a concrete wall. Well, she beat her head against that concrete wall for 40 years, and when she passed, uh, there were mission stations uh, as a result of her work uh, scattered all across Algeria. Uh, were there a, uh, a massive revival in Algeria? Well, it depends how you define revival. Uh, there are many, 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 many people who will be in heaven because of the faithfulness of Lilius Trotter. And again, we need people that, now nah, I'll, I'll give it a shot, see how it goes. No, kind of like in the uh, old days, uh, they packed their bags in their coffin because they did not intend to come back. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of them, like Lilius Trotter, you say, well, where did she die? She died in Algeria. Where is she buried? She's buried in Algeria among the people that she considered her family that God called her to win. I pray that God will raise up more men and women who will give themselves to the call of missions like that. Heaven will rejoice when God does that. I know it does rejoice when God does that. Yeah, and in the end, you, you speak frequently to us about the, uh, the promise, the hope, and actually the challenge that Revelation chapter 5 and 7 bring yes. to us. Uh, you know, that, that's where our goal is. That's also where our promise is, and the fact that we'll be in that throne room with people from every tribe, every tongue. So every many, nation. you can't even count them. Yeah, Amen. amazing. Well, thank you, Dr. Aiken, so much John, for joining us, you. for your My leadership, honor. for your friendship. Uh, for those of you who are listening, I hope that this episode was helpful. Uh, let me share a couple of resource opportunities and locations for you. You can always find out a lot more about what Dr. Aiken is doing and writing on the Southeastern website through that. There'll be ways to do that and links there, so at sebts.edu. But you can also go to danielaiken.com. Uh, where his website's located, you'll find sermons, you'll find books, you'll find uh, even guides on how to build your own theological library and things like that. A lot of resources there that you'd really, really enjoy. So, so search for Danny Aiken online, and you'll find his website there. If ep this episode was helpful, I hope that you'll share it with other people. Just let other people know about it. Again, I appreciate the Center for Great Commission Studies so much for allowing us to record these special episodes to go out on their platform. If you have questions about our Global Theological Initiative, you can always email us at gti at sebts.edu, or again, look on the Southeastern website, and you'll find connecting points there. So thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to having you join us for the next episode as we talk about uh, the scent life uh, from the global church. Thank you so much. 